0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with the L.A. Lakers? Why don't we start by saying they're garbage? The Lakers are a trash team. Fact. Not a hot take. Not an opinion. Fact. They're garbage. They're a trash team. And then you get to a certain point where there is no point in talking about them because nothing ever changes. It's like talking about the sun rising and setting. It happens all the time. It's like talking about old man Ritt smashing sugar all morning long. It Mm. happens all the time. These are the things we know. Cheers, Pops. The Lakers serve up the same crap sando every single time they step on the floor. So exactly what is there to talk about? What's new? Well, that said, last night was actually new. There was something about last night that was new. Something about last night that was novel. There will come a day when the Lakers are so horrible that they're not even interesting. Like, I will not even talk about them because they're boring. Today is not that day because while they are garbage, they're not boring. Garbage. While they are trash, they're actually the absolute best. They're garbage, but they rule. Garbage. Because what we're talking about right now is a car wreck that you cannot look away from. You have to rubberneck these guys. Because just when you think they've hit rock bottom, and I thought they had, but just when you think they have, no, 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 no. They break out the jackhammers, maybe some light dynamite, and they break through to an even newer low. Last night at the Crypt was the ultimate low. I want to say that was rock bottom. Now, you know me. I don't root. I don't root. I'm rooting for that not to be rock bottom. I hope they can sink even lower. And I've got nothing personal against them. I just like having things to talk about. And they're giving me a lot to talk about. That should be rock bottom. Because they got blown out by the Pelicans. By 28. At home. The Pelicans without Zion. I mean, if that's not rock bottom, what the hell is? So I'm rooting for it not to be rock bottom. The Pelicans were one of the few teams in the league that was looking up at the Lakers. The Lakers. They're one of the few teams in the league with a record worse than L.A., and yet they come into the Lake Show house and humiliate them. And yes, I'm well aware that the Pelicans have C.J. McCollum. You know I think the world of that guy. This is a gigantic C.J. McCollum house. But if you're the Lakers, man, you cannot allow the Pelicans to come into the crypt, punch you in the face, break out a shovel— hammer you in the head with it, and then dig your shallow grave and push you right in and then throw dirt on you because that's exactly what happened last night. And it's been happening. No wonder Laker fan was booing his and her ass off and heading for the exits. Like, that's not even an L.A. thing, right? That's a Laker thing. They're horrible. People left early. No wonder Jeannie Buss reportedly left the game with time left in the third quarter. Do you have any idea, any idea how bad you have to be to drive the owner from the building with more than a quarter left in the game? This isn't one of those Jerry West situations where he couldn't bear to watch and would leave during the playoffs and drive around town and listen on the radio because he was so worked up. Nah. Jeannie left presumably because her team is garbage and she didn't want to see it. And if that's the reason why she left, she's right. But then again, she was wrong as well, because in a way, they're garbage, and I could see why to leave early, but not me. I cannot look away from these guys. Suddenly, they're so bad, they're must-see TV. They're not the best team in the league, but they are the best show in the league. Far and away, the best horrible team in the league. You know Why? They don't just get their asses kicked. They provide incredible entertainment like this. Ingram right side. Alvarado drives to the basket. Wide open Devontae Graham for three. Missed it. Uh-oh!
1: Rebound grabbed by DeAndre Jordan. Uh-oh. Jordan's going to bring
2: it out of the backcourt and throws it <laughs> 10 feet over the head of Wayne Ellington. Where was he throwing that up in this concession? He threw it to Rich Paul. That's 20 turnovers. Well, and look, now they got 20, right, Doug? No matter. They can't dispute it now. Ball, each that, that ball looked like a pass, like a beach ball in, the, in a hurricane. And you're right. It almost hit LeBron's agent,
0: Rich Paul, in the head. Lakers radio. And if you have not seen that pass and it sounds bad, it's even worse than it sounds. That's DeAndre Jordan looking to take out a popcorn vendor in the mezzanine. Damn near chucked it into the convention center next door. It's a good thing Radio Row is not still going on because that pass would have taken out our CBS set. So if you're one of those people who's been wondering, why doesn't the big fella get more minutes? Why isn't DeAndre Jordan getting more playing time? There is your answer. Not only is he a statue on defense, but he is a literal threat to innocent civilians who are minding their own business, probably in their phones, on offense. But let's not put it all on him. This was not only about DJ. There were other sequences like this masterpiece.
2: Jones slashing and gets blocked by Howard. Throws it away to McCollum, who can't can the three. Jones keeps it alive for New Orleans. Another chance McCollum can't stick from deep. And now McCollum steals the downcourt pass from
0: James. (laughs) Dude, that would be Richard Jefferson on a national broadcast breaking out the circus music in the first quarter. And this dude is so right.
2: <laughs> that right there is some of the best
0: analysis I've ever heard. Why break down what we're seeing and tell us how crappy they are? Just break out in song. Just break out in the circus song. And you know why that was okay? Because it was a total clown show. DeAndre's out there heaving a ball towards Rosemead. And by the way, the funniest thing all of all about that pass is DeAndre's like pointing at himself, like, my bad, my bad, my bad. Right, dude. You were the one who threw it out of the arena altogether. If it's not your bad, whose bad is it? I've got one thing to say to that big fella. <laughs> <laughs> the leaping clown show. <laughs> Jefferson, man, he was the best thing about that. So DeAndre's out there doing that, but he's not the only one. Russ had six turnovers and zero assists in the first half. Not a good ratio. LeBron had seven turnovers, seven for the game, including this beauty.
3: Great pickup for this roster. Oh, no.
2: 18th turnover for the Lakers. Hey, let's just see if we can get to 30. Why not? Let's start, let's start
0: rooting for the turnovers. And the crowd booing here at Crypto.com Arena, understandably so. I'm telling you, Jefferson is so good. I love this guy. And not just because he broke out the circus song on the Lakers, but that's awesome. That is some of the best analysis I've ever heard right there. But then at that point when they had 18 turnovers, he literally said, why don't we see if we can get to 30? Let's just see if we can get to 30. Why not? Oh, Let's start- <laughs> Again, he's openly clowning the Lakers. Openly mocking and clowning the Lakers and so much in the right to do so. But it didn't stop there. It was a complete and utter failure on every single front. They had 16 turnovers in the first half alone. That's the most for the Lakers in nearly a decade. They weren't. Or they were just slinging it around the yard altogether. And then how about Mellow? How about Mellow celebrating a three and then not noticing that the Pelicans were getting out on the break after the make? I mean, what we're talking about here is some grade school crap from some future Hall of Famers. Literally, grade school crap. So the question is this. Are they just not good or do they just not give a damn? Are they just not good or are they not trying? Are they just not good, or have they given in completely? Are they just not good, or do they just not give a damn? And as always, the answer is yes, yes. They're that bad, and they're not trying. Total lack of effort on defense, no intensity on offense. They're just flat out bad. And as bad it is as it is to be bad, it's even worse to be bad and not give a bleep. Like it's one thing to suck. You can't always control that. But the one thing you can control is your effort. And their control on that effort right now is to not give any effort. That's how they're approaching effort by not showing any. After the game, Russell Westbrook said he thinks that the Lakers' scouting report, the way teams see the Lakers, their scouting report is to just play harder and with more energy against them.
3: Teams are coming in playing harder, and I believe that's just kind of their scout report, just play harder than them and see what happens. And it's working, you know, until we determine and have a determination that we, we're we not going to allow it, uh, especially in, on our home floor. It will continue to happen to us.
0: All right, so great. So you know what the problem is. You have diagnosed part of the problem. So go ahead, solve it, fix it. You've identified it. How does this team get outworked almost every single time they get on the floor. And you can't tell me that's just old guys getting tired. They just had more than a week off of the All-Star break. They should be fresh. As fresh as they've been in a long time. And then they come out and they play like that. Are you going to tell me they're that bad? I'm going to tell you they're bad. They're garbage. But are they that bad? Or do they just not give a garbage. damn? This is a team of guys who either do not want to give effort or can't give effort But either way, that is a problem. So the rest of the Lakers are lucky the last few days have involved stories about Rob Palenka and LeBron. Because that's a convenient distraction and a misdirection from the fact that this team sucks. And does not give a damn at all. And before you come at me like, hey man, who are you? Who are you to question them? Who am I? Did you see them last night? Did you see them against the Pelicans? Did you see them get blown out by a team in their own house that is looking up at them? That's who I am. And I'm not wrong either. That lack of effort, honestly, is disgraceful. It's embarrassing. It's an embarrassment to the guys who are doing it. It's an embarrassment to that Laker jersey. They're disrespecting the fans and the history of the franchise. Hell, Dr. James Naismith is rolling around in his grave right now, seeing his sport completely disrespected by the I-don't-give-a-damn-Lakers. And yet the whole thing is just so hilarious. I mean, let me see that DeAndre Jordan clip again so I can laugh again. Jordan comes up with it. Oh, wow. Hey, now. Too high. Too high. Thought the fans deserved a souvenir after this. That and their money back and some free beer. I mean, that performance was horrible and worthy of being booed. Again, awful and wildly disrespectful to the sport. But come on, you look at that and you can't tell me that's not funny. That's like the funniest thing I've, been, I've seen in a long, long time. <laughs> so let me be clear about the Lakers, because I've got to be real with you, Laker fan. Over the last nine years, your team has been way more about DeAndre Jordan drilling fans in the 50th row than it has been about hoisting trophies and raising banners. That title you have, they can't take that from you, but that was an outlier, an anomaly. Stuff like last night, that's the norm of the past decade. This has been a place of utter dysfunction. Remember Irv quitting so he could go tweet? Remember the Ramby being so involved in everything, but for no apparent reason? Remember the bizarre coaching search that ended up on Frank Vogel? That title is not really the Lakers doing, or even Rob Lowe Palenka's doing. It was LeBron and AD in the bubble. Let's so let's just not forget the six straight losing seasons before the championship. The last decade of the Lakers is not all AD and LeBron. There was a lot of Bob Sacre. So at this point, I really don't care. I don't care if LeBron and company fire Rob Palenka. Fine. Do whatever you have to do. Just make sure this part doesn't change, and you keep giving us what we want. This Jordan's going to bring it out of the backcourt and throws it <laughs> twenty feet over the head of Wayne Ellington. Where was he throwing that up in this
2: concession? He threw it to Rich Paul. That's twenty turnovers. Well yeah, now they got twenty, right, Doug? No matter. They can't dispute it now. The ball, he that ball—he threw that ball. Looked like a pass, like a
0: beach ball in, the, in a hurricane. And you're right; it almost hit LeBron's agent, Rich Paul, in the head. That's the good stuff, yo. That's the best show in town right now. I mean, yeah, it's the worst show ever, but it's the best show in town. A total embarrassment. It's so embarrassing, it's good. Like, give me an A or give me an F. They're getting an A because they don't give an F. Good thing, too. Good thing they play at Crypto. That DeAndre pass would have taken out that gigantic scoreboard it's so far. Oh, wow. Hey, now. Too high. And one too more high. thing before I go to break. Calling the Lakers a clown show is disrespectful to clowns. I always talk about the universal reasons to go. Well, if you're a clown, they have their own set of reasons to go. The clown set of reasons to go. If somebody says your clown wig is not bright enough in color, you go. If somebody insults you for wearing clown shoes too big, you go. If another clown rolls up on you and squirts water in your face from that fake flower lapel, you go! If somebody compares your craft to this freaking Laker squad, you freaking go! That's how bad they are. So you know the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. Well, the same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the Finance Super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why Money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. He is Chris Herring. Chris, good to have you back. How are you?
2: I'm great, Jim. How are you? Thank you.
0: You got it. Great to have you. So I know you were watching the Lakers last night. Roughly 12 hours after that game ended, have you found the words to describe exactly what you did see last night?
2: Honestly, on the one hand, no. But on the other, I guess so. Because it's kind of been more of the same. I mean, a loss is a loss. Obviously, that one was more embarrassing. But I think at a certain point, the expectations were probably um, – we've had – expectations that were too high I, I remember kind of laughing at the very beginning of the season when they you know the betting odds and everything had them as favorites or co-favorites with the net I never thought that I immediately started scrambling to figure out who I would prop up as my west favorite after they traded for Westbrook so I haven't been on that bandwagon at all at any point this season but um, last night was particularly bad I mean Russ I think started the game with Um, seven turnovers before he got an assist at the very end of the game on a fast break to LeBron. Um, And it just, I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. And I mean, certainly whether they want to be out there is one thing, whether Vogel is the guy for them is another thing, but um, it's just unusual. I think the only thing there really is to say at this point is that um, LeBron can't hold it up by himself anymore. And we're not used to seeing it unravel on him or his teams this late in the season. Um, Even if they do make the playoffs, it's just kind of uh, jarring to watch it.
0: Chris Herring joining us, (laughs) definitely jarring to watch it. Let me ask you this, like, was that rock bottom last night or could it still get worse?
2: I I think maybe that was rock bottom because, one, you you don't have Davis really anytime soon, and so there's that part of it. Westbrook, even if he's playing hard, which he's one guy that you normally can depend on to do that, it's just, it's just so lost for him at this point to, to have a game where, you know, he was asked the question. Remember a few weeks ago he was asked the question, like, can this team win if you're turning the ball over so much? And he responded the next night by having his first turnover free game in like six years. So it was very clear he was thinking about how to not turn the ball over. So to go from that like a month ago to then have this where he's got seven before he gets an assist. Uh, LeBron had too many turnovers as well. This was a team that is basically where they are is fighting just to make the plan to lose that badly to a team that's, you know, granted has been playing better and CJ McCollum makes them better, but this is a team that's basically in the same spot you are playing on the road um, in LA and your home arena to be booed like that was pretty ugly. So I, I would like to think that's rock bottom for them, but I don't know if this is it. it. It's rock bottom so far, but we don't know what's to come and who knows whether LeBron wants to play out the rest of the season and what looks like kind of a foregone conclusion then at best they're, you know, a first round washout.
0: Chris Herring is my guest. I was gonna go there next. Like on the one hand, Chris, I hate talking and spending this much time on a team that might make the play in when there's so many other good stories <laughs> and good teams. But let me ask you this when the season finally does end, what do you think they do in the offseason? Like where can they go from here? Would they entertain an Anthony Davis trade? And what about LeBron?
2: I I, I think they should entertain an Anthony Davis trade. Um not to just be completely over the top about him, but I mean, I thought, you know, look, you can't view it all as a failure because they won the championship already a couple of years ago. So there's that part of it, which I think that gets lost. I think Lakers fans sometimes can be a little bit spoiled because of how much success they've had. That made it worth it from that standpoint by itself. Now, the challenge with Davis, I think, is that he and LeBron are reps by the same agency. And so do they want to break the two of them up what does that say if you have to do that does it devalue davis or make him less valuable to somebody else based on that but it doesn't make sense to have those two guys paired together just based on i mean anthony davis might as well be 37 years old as you know too based on how often he gets injured and how often he gets tweaked so that should be on the table honestly <laughs> they would never say it and obviously the lakers would not look to trade lebron but you know if it were any other player that should be on the table too because I think a lot of other contending teams would love to have him, um, but obviously that won't happen. You know, and, and I think even the meeting earlier this week, or last week or whatever it was with LeBron and his folks and the Lakers, I think the reason that they had that meeting to begin with was the fact that they don't want that messaging to get too far gone, where they're playing a game of chicken and LeBron wants to see or has to see certain changes in management or the team is starting to think about moving him. Nobody in L.A. wants that. But uh, honestly, everything should be on the table when the team is underachieving to this extent. Even if Russ is part of the team, the idea of them not making the playoffs is pretty brutal considering what certain people expected of them this year and um everything should be on the table quite uh, frankly i, I don't agree. know if they will handle it that way
0: i agree chris herring joining us all right so i could just stay on that topic but that would be irresponsible let me ask you about this you were discussing <laughs> on your podcast chris recently about legacies and everybody always loves a good legacy conversation so what about Giannis? if Giannis and the bucks win another ring what does that mean for his legacy
2: I was saying this on the podcast and I, I don't know, maybe it sounded crazy, but I I think I've talked myself into it. Um, He ends up being the closest thing we've had to LeBron pretty easily since he's been in the league as far as not necessarily his playing style, but just the fact that um, the guy would be 27 at the end of this season and would have two championships. He would have two MVPs, maybe a third. We'll see what happens the rest of this year. I think he's probably in the top three in that in that conversation right now. Um, he would have theoretically two Finals MVPs unless maybe Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton takes it from him. Um, and he would have done it. You know, everybody wrote off the fluke last year um, that you know Brooklyn was better and they just were banged up. Uh, he would be going through a, a pretty difficult murderer's row this year. We don't even know who's going to come out of the West, but Brooklyn. You know, assuming Ben Simmons gets on the court sometime soon. Um, and Kyrie Irving is able to play at some point, both home and away. Kevin Durant, we assume, will be healthy at some point. The Sixers look fantastic. Who knows what happens with, with other teams and, and, and the conference at that point. Um, he would be going through quite a bit of competition to win a championship this year. So I, I think that his legacy actually has the most to gain um, if he wins again. Uh, even if we look at Steph and his situation and and – Obviously, I don't think it's going to happen for LeBron, but I think his legacy would just, at that point, I think we've kind of underrated how amazing he would be, Like where I think you have to start thinking about the top 20, 25 players of all time, for someone who's only 27 years old.
0: Right. Chris Herring joining us. I'm not even convinced that he's actually fully entered his prime yet. I mean, he could still get better. You mentioned mentioned the Sixers, Chris, and how well they're playing. It's only been two games for James Harden and the Sixers, and he and Joel really seem to be enjoying playing together. How do you see that relationship going on and off the court?
2: Better than I expected. So much better. And, I mean, obviously we knew that some aspects of life would become easier for Joel and the who let's face it, part of the reason he's in the MVP conversation and probably at the front end of it is that he's had to do so much without Simmons being there. Um, he's had to do so much defensively for a team that, yes, they've got Tobias Harris and, you know, a, a max level guy in him, but not anybody that's been playing up to that that level. Um, so he was doing a lot on his own, and I think the numbers were showing that he was – it was something like 50% of his baskets he was making without being assisted, Um now it's something like now that Harden's there I think something like 82 percent of his baskets have been assisted um, so life is getting a lot easier for him and let's face it and I was guilty of doing this when Harden left Houston and the way he looked Houston, in Houston when it was somewhat clear that his effort wasn't there but also it kind of lulled you into thinking man maybe he just doesn't have it the way he used to he looked fantastic in that first game with Billy to the point where if, if you're a Brooklyn fan or if you're the Nets you probably are really frustrated because you, it just looked like Harden wasn't playing at the end anymore he wasn't trying he looked so much quicker than I've seen him look um, and I know Kevin Durant has to be looking at that saying wow uh, that's not what we signed up for you know we at least would have hoped that he'd give us your, your best effort during that time so The sky really might be the limit with with them. Um, I I really wish they hadn't had to give up Seth Curry because then I think that they would be my favorite in the league, really. But um, even without him, they they still look really, really good in Philly. And um, if those two are playing in in a happy state the way they are, uh, certainly Harden then I think that you have to consider them as contenders,
0: for sure. You know, as long as you owned it, I'm going to own it, too. I thought that he had lost it. And if he hadn't lost it completely, he was losing it at a pretty rapid clip. Come to find out, he didn't lose it. He lost interest. He lost right. interest, man. This guy looks great. He looks awesome. All right, we are talking to Chris Herring. He's got a book out called "Blood in the Garden: The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks." That book is out right now. Really quickly, so now that the book is dropped. It's a great book, a great, great book. Now that you are a New York Times bestseller, given all the work that went into it, how does it feel to make that list and hear from so many people and what the book means to them?
2: Oh, it's been incredible. I, um, I'm not. I, I was about to say I'm not a sentimental person. I, I guess I am. It was emotionally overwhelming to see so many people posting pictures of the book. Spike Lee posted a picture of the book as it came out Um, to hear from so many people and, you know, to hear from so many folks that this was their childhood, this was their life, you know, their parents, you know, uh, holding up copies of the book and just how proud they were. And so many people that were proud of me um, meant a lot, still means a lot It's something I'll never forget. And I'm just incredibly
0: Good for you. It's it awesome. It, it's awesome. And what a, have you? Senior writer at Sports Illustrated, co-host of Open Floor SI's NBA show. As I said, a New York Times best-selling author, and that book is out. Blood in the Garden: The Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks. It's a great read. Chris, appreciate you. Always good having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you and clones. If you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? So if you're following me on Instagram, and by the way, you should do that because of things like that. I did a little, I mean, I wouldn't call it a vlog, but I did story out my ass. There were a lot of stories yesterday of me being in New Mexico and being with the horse. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know that. If you don't, I wish you would because you could see me chronicle an epic road trip to Sunland Park, New Mexico to watch Straight Up G Run in the Mind That Bird Derby. A little background on Straight Up G and the particular race. Follow me on this. I know not all of you want to hear this. I get that. Just follow me on this because I want to tell you about the day and how it went. Once again, Straight Up G is a cowbred. That means that he was bred in the state of California, and therefore he is incentivized to run against other cowbred horses. They incentivize you to do this because they want to keep you in state, and they want you running in their races, and they're not the only ones. All these states, not all these states, but a lot of states have their own program to incentivize you to breed and run in that state. So if you're good enough, you're also eligible to run in what's known as open competition. Straight Up G had not done that before. In his first four races, he only raced in the state of California against other California bred horses. So it's a limited talent pool. There are some really good horses in California, but it would stand to reason there are some really good horses outside the state of California. So when you have a cow bred, you're always kind of wondering in the back of your mind, are we good enough to venture out? Are we good enough to race against Kentucky breds and others? So, this race was his first race outside of California and the first time that he'd raced against non-calbreds. Essentially, we wanted to find out how he would do against open competition. So, as for the race itself, really nice race, really nice field, but there are no derby points involved. And that's important because now we're in derby season. You may be wondering: who are the horses that end up in the Kentucky Derby? They have to be three. They're only three-year-olds, and you have to qualify to get to the derby. You can't buy your way in. You can't just say, hey, I'm here. I want to run in the derby. You have to accumulate the points necessary to qualify for the derby. This particular race had no derby points, but it was a prep race for a huge derby prep race. In other words, the thinking is at Sunland Park, New Mexico, if you win this race, you would then run in their derby prep race. And that race is a win and you're in. So that next race would be much tougher and a much bigger swing. But if you win that race, then you're automatically in the derby, in effect, because you get 50 points. So this was one of the reasons why we wanted to go to New Mexico and take a shot. So the truth is, I I knew we were going to run, but I wasn't sold on actually going there to watch the race. I was kind of kicking the idea around because it was a Sunday race. And it's not the easiest place to get to on short notice. And I wasn't sure I could pull off on a Sunday. So literally, I actually, I killed the idea. We were looking at flights and I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing that. That's a lot of work as compared to me opening up my laptop and doing whatever I want at home on Sunday. So I killed the idea and was content to watch that race from home. However, on Thursday, I had an unrelated meeting with my guy, Craig Dato. Craig Dato was a longtime executive at the track in Del Mar. I've known Dato for years and a good friend of mine. We have a meeting on something unrelated on Thursday here in the studio, and then he texts me later in the day and says, I'll roll with you. Let's go to the race. I said, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not a huge fan, or I'm not huge on the flight issues, whether or not we can even get in and out. And because, contrary to belief, there is no such thing as air Rome." That was not a private jet. There's none of that. There is no air run. You don't
3: keep a private jet.
0: I don't keep a private jet. So I'm leaning against the trip. Dato hits me back and says, I'm already looking at flights. And the next thing you know, he finds me flights and he says to me, he texts me, here are the flights. When, when you book it, let me know and I'll book mine. I'm like, I guess I'm going. I book it, I tell him it's booked. And his response to me was, huh, I guess we're going. I'm like, hell yes, we're going, Dato. It's your idea, man. You were the one leaning on me. So we are going to New Mexico and back yesterday, non direct and all on Southwest. You are now free to move about the country. Frankly, something I generally do not do. Not to big league anybody, not to be a snob. I just generally don't. I mean, You can bet your ass I was looking around for Stephen Curry in Zone 3 when I got to the airport.
2: Zone 3? Yeah, Zone 3. That would be me.
0: That would be me. Zone 3? Actually, I wasn't Zone 3. I was Zone A because I got in early and went, quote, business select. However... It doesn't matter what zone you are if the flight is delayed and you're running your ass through the airport like OJ before he started killing people. Then I was zone Z. Barely made the connecting flight last night. All right, so up until I was up yesterday at 4.15 a.m., hit LAX into El Paso, Dato and our trainer Richie Baltus. Incredibly, Richard Richard Baltus went to the race. And from a racing standpoint, you may find this interesting. From a racing standpoint and or perhaps more importantly, a gambling standpoint. If you see a trainer of that pedigree, Richie Baltus making a trip like that to that town for a listed stake, to quote my dude Dato Your trainer is not coming all that way for that purse if he thinks you're going to run third. So we get there before the first race. We're running in the last race. Those types of days are generally really, really long because you're just sitting up there spinning clock. There's a half an hour between races, and we're race number nine. And you're just spinning clock, sweating it out, especially when your day starts at 4 a.m., and you're getting on an airplane. So, and I know I'm coming back the same day, so we're strategic. We start the day. This is not one of those deals where we get to LAX at 8 and start smashing shots of tequila. That's not what that is. We start the day with a couple of diet sodas, then a light beer after we cash our first ticket. Then the day starts to pick up, and you can feel it. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. We start to get closer. We upgrade to some tequila. But still, you got to be smart. You don't want to be sloppy. I don't need to be like stumbling around the paddock before the big race. But then you get the pre-race sweats. They kick in. You're looking to take the edge off. Finally, finally, several hours after arriving, it is go time. It's time for the race. We go down to the paddock. That's where they saddle the horses. Straight up G looks like a million. Looked like he handled the ship well. You had to ship the horse in. He was the morning line favorite at 3-1, to one, but bet down to even money. And frankly, clones, not to be a bag, I did that. The number dropped precipitously when I went to the window because there wasn't a ton of money at this track. As for the race itself, tactically, he's a pretty versatile horse. As Richie Baltus likes to say, straight up G, he's got a lot of natural speed. What that means is he can win on the lead or he can stalk the lead you know, which I preferred, be a horse or two back, be up front, but you don't need to be setting those fractions, burning out. And because the race may be a little bit longer than this particular horse wants, you want to watch the fractions to make sure that he or they are not going too fast and then you lose all your horse early in the race. So if you watch the video, he doesn't break especially well, quickly recovers is on the lead, runs the first quarter in 23-7-9. Perfect. Perfect. Setting up beautifully. But then he starts running now. He ran that second split way faster than the first. Now I'm worried that he's going too fast, and they're going to gun him down. Then they turn from home. And this is what you live for. When these horses turn for home and everybody's all in then the moment
3: less than a half mile to travel in the mind that bird derby they've yet to challenge straight up g he's getting a prolonged breather and he leads by a comfortable three legs chasing hard in second classic moment bye bye bobby looks to be in third place with a lot of work in front of him City at night fourth they come into the top of the stretch now and straight up g just needs about a quarter of a mile to go and he's revved up and looking for more Straight up G, leading by three long lengths. Classic moment. Battling it out with Bye Bye Bobby for the Miners. Sixteenth of a mile to go. Straight up G, trying to see this through. And he's going to get it done. And straight up G is the mind That Derby winner. Over Bye Bye Bobby, who closed in late to get second. Classic moment third with Fowler Blue. Already one
0: idiot just hit me with, hey, Rome, great, sounds great. How much better would it sound if the horse's name was Unkempt? It wouldn't sound better, (laughs) moron. That moron is James Kelly. Kelly, you got to stop, dude. All right, so for a moment, if you see the video and you've got kind of a critical eye and you understand how these things go, it looked like G was going to win by open lengths. It looked like he was going to win by five, six, seven, not five, not six, maybe eight lengths. And if he does that, the the literal Kentucky Derby dream is still alive. But something happened, and I'm not sure exactly what happened. If you watch the replay really carefully, he took a couple of awkward steps, which is always terrifying. Awkward. Terrifying. If you know the game, you feel the absolute worst. So he doesn't win by seven or eight, but he holds on to win. But he, he was a little wobbly coming in. He wasn't finishing like that boss that it looked like he was going to be. In the end... Big dude holds on. He guts out a gritty win on the road against open company and a truly great day. In terms of what happened down the stretch, I'm not sure. Either he got a little tired. Part of the team thinks it's that. Part of our team thinks that he misstepped. There are these tire tracks or tire tracks on the track. What they do is they move the gate, the starting gate around, and they pull it with a tractor. And there were tire tracks that we thought that he skipped over and kind of lost his rhythm, and it affected his lead change, and he just got all out of sorts. You might say, yeah, dude, it's not that. Your horse is more of a miler or a 7 7-8 horse. I don't really know. I Honestly, I really don't know. The team has different opinions on this. All I know is this. Had an amazing day in New Mexico. Horse had a great win. Now we lay out and we see how the horse comes back. That's code for... How's he doing? How's he going to recover? How does he come out of the race? Is he sound? Is he good? And then if he is, we give him some time and we think about the next race. I will let you in on the inside, some inside baseball, inside horse racing. We're not all in agreement about what to do in the next race. We need to get together as a team. I always defer to the horse people, but I can't lie to you. You know that we had a good time there, and they've got a big, big, big race coming up one month from right now on that same track. But keep in mind, we did all this in one day. So coming back, our flight leaves late. Doesn't matter because we won. I'm feeling great about everything. But because the flight leaves late and I have a connecting flight, I'm afraid I'm going to miss the connecting flight, get stuck in Arizona, and no one here is going to give a damn that we want to race there. And I'm not on the air. Luckily, the second leg was also delayed. Like I mentioned, Dato and I were running through the airport like Oge before he started killing people. We make it on the second leg. We get into Santa Ana around 10 p.m., and here I am. Here the bleep I am. Here we are. So, quick shout-out to the horse. Not that he's going to hear it. Shout-out to Straight Up G, Jungle Racing Homebred. He's now won two stakes and finished second in another. Shout-out to Team Baltus. Shout-out to my guy, Richie Baltis for making the trip. Shout-out to my dude, Craig Dato. It was his idea. He was a great wingman. Shout-out to Sunland Park for their hospitality. I don't know when the next race will be. We just want to celebrate this one and enjoy it. Let's hope the big boy comes out and continues to develop. I saw an article today that said, does Jim Rome have a Kentucky Derby contender? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Doubtful. Doubtful. But he is an awesome dude. And he's having a really nice career, and I'm enjoying the hell out of the ride. And clones, thanks for having an open mind and having some fun with that yesterday with me. I appreciate you. And now a message from my friends at Discover, and it's all about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for that loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that actually make sense discover exceptionally common sense learn more at discover.com slash match limitations do apply Kyron williams is my guest Kyron, good to have you back how are you
4: good how are you doing jim good Glad good back dude
0: on the show. yeah it's great to have you back really appreciate it so when you and i spoke in november we talked about a number of things so it's good to get you back today the combine starts this week bring me yes, up today how you doing how you feeling what are your thoughts as this week starts
4: yeah um i'm doing good uh i just had a little slight workout this morning just to go through the stretches and everything that we're going to have to use and need for the combine so i'm back home resting my feet kicking them up and tomorrow i'm flying out to indianapolis to um put on a show i'm feeling good um about where everything i'm at i'm confident in my ability and what i got to do tomorrow on thursday when i go on the field and perform so um, i'm excited i'm grateful i'm blessed and i'm just ready to go to work in this position that I'm in.
0: My man, that might be a perfect answer. That's exactly it. And (laughs) I I love that you're ready to put on a show that you put the time in, you put the work in, and you're anxious to show them what you can do. Like, my sense is, no matter what you do, you're going to give everything you have to, whatever it is you're doing. But does it feel different when you're preparing for the NFL and preparing for a job compared to preparing for a college game or a season?
4: No, yeah, it's definitely different. This is the biggest interview I've ever had in my whole life. This is like the dream that I've been... Playing football. This is why I started playing football, and it's finally here. I'm finally gonna be able to um, perform and just do what I do best in front of the scouts and all the teams. So um, I'm really excited. Um, Like I said, I'm just. I know who I am, and I know what I can do, Um, and I've proven that ever since I was in high school when people doubted me. So I just know that it's it's, nothing's changed. It's always. I've been playing the same game since I was little, and um, I know the same work that I put in to get to where I'm at is always gonna be the same. Work to um, to be able to be successful at this combine. So you know, like I said, I'm just you know I'm just really excited just to attack it.
0: Former Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams is my guest. Listen, I understand that you're going to be your own guy. That's key. But a former NFL running back's coach told NFL.com that he can see an Austin Eckler-type role for you in the NFL. Listen, I I, I know you do, too. I've got incredible respect for Austin Eckler. There are a lot of comparisons that are a lot less praiseworthy than that. Like, What's your reaction when you hear that, and what are you going to bring to the NFL as a player and your skill set?
4: Yeah, that excites me because I know Austin Eckler. I've watched him play. I don't know him personally, but I've watched him play, and i watched him see what he can do all over the field, coming out the backfield, catching passes, going in the slot and catching passes, and that's really what I feel like not everybody knows about me. I wasn't able to show that as much as I wanted to at Notre Dame, and I think in the NFL, I think these coaches are going to be able to use me as a two-way player to get me in the space and to get me when those one-on-one matchups with linebackers that you know just, that can't cover me, and I just I'm really excited to be able to. Um, show my game as a slot receiver and show that I can contribute in the pass game as well. And like I said, this is something that I've been doing since I was in high school. And I've, i I, was, I actually was a receiver before I was a running back. So I, I have those skill sets and I have those abilities to do what those, um, slot receivers can do. And I feel like a lot of coaches, um, a lot of scouts, they're going to be able to see that at the combine and at my pro day that I am a two way player. And so I'm super excited to be able to. Um, show that off and be able to um, separate myself from the other players.
0: Kyron Williams, my guest, it seems to me also you can do things that don't always show up on tape. You can do things that don't always show up in a stat sheet. I'm talking about the intangibles. Like you were a team captain at Notre Dame. You were a leader, a tone setter, even before you were a captain. What does that particular role mean to you? And then how do you approach that part of it?
4: I mean, I think it means it's the person who I am each and every day. I don't ever change. I'm always consistent in what I do, and I just put work first. And I try to lead everybody and hold them accountable to the same way that I hold myself accountable. So if I'm working hard, I'm going to make sure that the guy to the left and right of me is working just as hard as me because I feel like I feel as if he deserves it and he, he needs to be. Push just as if I wanted to be pushed so um, just those type of ways the way I think about it is if I push you you're going to push me so each and each and every day we're going to get better and that's just who I am as a person I don't I've never really tried to be a leader it's just naturally in me to do that because I like I said I, I feel like every player everybody that I play with it who is around me, that works me, that deserves to be able to get pushed. And that's, it's, for me, if you're going to push me, then I'm going to push you. So it's just like a, it's got kind of relationship that we kind of build on and off the field when um, you have players like that that are around you and that can do those do those things that you want, the, want them to do.
0: Kyron Williams getting ready for the NFL Draft. It's upcoming. Now, you and your teammates talk about BAM, B-A-M. What is that yeah. an acronym for? And what does that philosophy mean to you?
4: So BAM means, by any means, um, so we kind of came up with that my freshman year as a running back room when Coach Taylor got there is how are you gonna what identity are we gonna have as a running back as a running back room and that's kind of what we picked up on because all the guys in that room they're no matter what it is no matter the situation we're not gonna shy away from it. we're gonna put our put our nose down we'll put our, we're gonna put our feet in the ground and we're gonna go to work no matter what it is so if that's pass pro we're gonna do that if that's coming out the backfield to catch a ball we're gonna do that. If it if that means running in between the tackles and having to get those hard gritty yards, we're gonna do that. So it's just kind of that um mindset and philosophy as a running back that no matter what it is, no matter what you're asked to do, you gotta go do it. You can't waver from not you can't waver from, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that this day and then do it, do it differently the next day. No, it's by any means necessary. So whatever the coach asks for us and puts on our back, we're going to go do that.
0: I like that. And consistency. you got to do it every single day no matter what. Yep. Now, the program, you're moving on. I understand this. But the program is also moving on in the sense that it's transitioning from Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman as head coach. Freeman had been the D coordinator, so my guess is you didn't spend a ton of time with him. But how do you think he'll do as the new head coach?
4: Um, you're right. I didn't spend much time with him, um, personally because he was on the defensive side, but I think as Coach Freeman as a person, he it kinda has the same kind of mindset that I do is be building those relationships with the players so that they know that you have their back and so they're gonna work as hard as possible for you because you know at the end of the day, when it comes when it's all said and done that the coach is still gonna be there with you, whether if you are right or whether if it's a win, a loss, a tie, a draw, it doesn't matter. They know that the coach Freeman is gonna be there with them and always gonna um push them to get better. So and I feel like as Coach Freeman as the head coach, there's not going to be a drop off. There might even be like a little uh, upward, like in a upward motivation in a, in a sense because they they're playing for somebody who knows they're going to have their back for them 100 percent of the time. So as a Coach Freeman, a lot of people say he's kind of like a player's coach, and he he truly is. Um, from what I've seen, I don't know how they, how different it is now that they're in the off-season workout, but. And when I was there, I just knew Coach Freeman, he could light a fire under your butt to get you to play as hard as you want.
0: Kyron Williams, my guest. Listen, before I let you go, why don't we talk family for a minute? Mm -hmm. Your father, Larry, played football at Northern Illinois. He was one of your coaches early in your career. What was it like to play for him, and what did you learn from him when you were growing up?
4: Yeah, I feel like he he and my mom, but in a sense of football way, he is the reason why I am today. He is the reason why I work so hard. And, have so much juice and fire because he was like you said he was my coach and it was each and every game he didn't ever waver like he was always hyped up always screaming always making sure that that we are ready to play and that just kind of it came into me like it was he just brought that into me and so that's why I'm a leader the way the, the way I lead is, is is because of him because he always preached like. People are gonna follow you, and don't always be a fo- always be a leader, not a follower. He always said that. I thought he probably said that probably every week to me. Always be a leader, not a follower. So like, once I started thinking about that and realizing that, and being able to be around a team and people that people look up to you, I was able to live by that. And I was just, you know, I'm forever grateful that my parents were able to raise me the way that I am and be the person I am today. And. Um, you know, it's just, it's just something I carry myself each and every day, and I'm
0: grateful for it. That's tremendous. I, I love hearing that, and I think it's a reminder to all of us that the message that you give to your kids and you keep giving to them, they hear, and hopefully they absorb it. I think that's amazing. Right. I want to ask you one know last thing. I
4: for sure that I'm going to leave my kids
0: like that. Right, right. Smart. Really smart. The Athletic did a piece on you, your dad, and Greg Bryant Sr., and— mm-hmm. Your father and Greg Bryant Sr. played together at Northern Illinois. Greg Bryant Jr. was a running back at Notre Dame before he transferred. He was murdered in 2016. So, what was it like for you to meet his father and share with him the stories you had heard about Greg and that still get passed down in the program?
4: Yeah, it was shocking. Like, um, I remember after the game, we all kind of met up, and I was able to meet him, and then I was able, to, and then we all came back to my place, which I lived with um, three of my, three of the players, the twins and Sibo. And there was a lot of people there, a lot of the players that were at, at my house at the time that knew about Greg and knew about what he meant to this program. And then being able to have his father there and all of our, like my father and his father to be there, like it, it kind of, it was like a surreal moment because at like we were talking and all this and he was like, uh, Greg's dad was like, you know, Greg, Greg Jr. He's down here, he's down smiling on us right now, like. Care always cherish these moments with your father because you don't know when you know you don't know ever know what, what happened happen in life and um, those like that night I will never forget because like it meant so much to my friends myself and my dad and Greg uh, Greg Bryant senior so it, like it was that that was that night that it was one of those yeah. they were in college
0: that I'm gonna jump in, Kyron, because I'm losing. The connection, that, that is an amazing story. What a moving night that must have been. What a powerful night. Talking to former Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams. He is a team captain. He is an All-American. He is a guy who leads from the front. And he's back right now. Kyron, sorry I lost you at the very end of that, but you told that story and I got almost all of that story. What, a, what an amazingly moving night that must have been for everybody. Listen, I appreciate you so much. Great to have you back on. I know you have a couple of great weeks before the draft and then once you get set and you know where you're going to work and live, I will definitely look for you again.
4: For sure. Sounds good.
0: Appreciate you, Jim. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Andy Enfield is my guest. Andy, it's been a moment or two or maybe even an hour. It's good to have you back. How are you?
1: Oh, thank you. It's been great to be back here. I can't believe it's been nine seasons here at USC, but we love our team right now. And we're excited.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to like, and I, I really do have a hard time believing this. it's been nine years, but it has been. Now, you're coming off a really huge road trip to Oregon. Let me start with Saturday's win over the Ducks, 70-69. to Drew Peterson hit a three with just over 11 seconds left to win that game. What was running through you when you saw that shot leave his hand?
1: What happened so quickly, we ran a play for a football screen, and both defenders went with Isaiah Mobley, And Drew read it perfectly. He pulled up immediately when he had the open space and knocked down a big-time shot. So I guess uh, what went through my mind as the ball was going through was what were you going to do defensively because there's still 11 seconds left in the game.
0: I mean, there's that, Andy, and that's not an easy trip. Like, that win over Oregon came two days after your double overtime win in Corvallis on Thursday. You had a nice lead early in the game, then Oregon State got back in that game, and yet again, you found a way to get it done and win. In late February, on the road and grinding out tough conference wins like that, how important is that for your team?
1: Well, it's huge. I think our players have figured out how to win games. They're very mature, very experienced. Going to Elite Eight last year— I think we're uh, nine and two now on the road, three and zero on neutral court. So we have a lot of wins away from the Galen Center this season, which is a credit to our players. They they just uh, they grind it out defensively for forty minutes and play very hard and give ourselves a chance to be in the game.
0: Talking to Andy Enfield, the head coach of USC. You know, you mentioned the Elite Eight run. You're doing all of this after you made that run and sent Evan Mobley to the NBA as the third pick overall. Seems to me a lot of programs might take a step back after a run like that and losing a talent like that. But that's not what's happening right here. In fact, how do you explain that? Because you are none the worse for it.
1: Well, we were picked six in the league with Evan Mobley last year, and then went to elite eight. So our guys overachieved. They did a great job last year. We lost our two leading scores: Evan, the third pick, and then Tajidi, who was an all-conference average fourteen a game. So without our two leading scores this year, other players had a chance to step up and uh, be relied upon more so than they were last year. And uh, very proud of these guys. Uh, they've come together. It's, it hasn't been the same player every night. I think we've won uh, as a true team this year, offensively and defensively, and uh, uh, we beat UCLA uh, two weeks ago without our leading scorer and rebounder in Isaiah Mobley. So That just shows you, uh, I guess, how, how much uh, this team has improved, and, and, and the guys are stepping up On different nights.
0: So I wonder, Andy, every single year is different, but for the guys who did come back, when you have a run like you did last year and you make it to the Elite Eight, did you notice that kind of collectively the players came back with a different attitude because of that experience?
1: Yes, I think we expect to win every game. We step on the court, they expect to win, and they play very hard. They play for each other, very unselfish on offense, and they play terrific defense. So uh, there is a self-confidence about our, our players and our team right now, and I I think that's earned over time. And um, the last few years, uh, our guys have really done a great job.
0: All right, so 25-4, and as I mentioned, is the best start in school history. You've won 72 games in the last three seasons. That ties the record that you set earlier in your career for the best three-year run in school history. The rap in the past was, like a lot of football schools, that USC is a football school, and it's not a place where a basketball program is going to have success, much less thrive. So how much pride is there in you for changing that narrative?
1: There's a lot of pride. Our goal when we were, we're named uh, the coaches here, uh, eight and a half, nine years ago was to try to build this program and then try to sustain the success. It took us three years to turn it. We went to the tournament and tournament our third season here after being last in the conference, our first two guys like Jordan McLaughlin, Shemezhi Metsu, D'Anthony Melton, roll in the NBA. That was the first wave of guys. And now we've had the second wave of guys come in. A lot of Southern California kids stayed home to try to build this program with us. And so we, we, uh, we are so proud of our, our guys, uh, uh it's not easy uh being having ucla across town as a blue blood program but we always thought that there's no reason why los angeles can't have two really good basketball programs and ucla has always been good they always will be they get great players great coaches uh but we're just thankful and, and excited to be uh Uh, competing on the uh, Pac-12 level and the national level here with everybody else, especially UCLA.
0: I want to say that, all right? The UCLA thing is a real thing. It's always going to be a real thing. It is UCLA. But when you mentioned the local level, regional level, but the national level, like I could go a step further, the only Power Six programs with more wins than you over the past three years are Baylor and Kansas. So what does that say about where this program is nationally now?
1: Well, I I think uh, that's a really uh, impressive stat for for our players to be 72-21 and the last three years, have the third-best record in Power Six conferences. Uh, Baylor, of course, won a championship. We played Kansas in the NCAA tournament last year. So to be mentioned with those elite programs, uh, I I think uh, people uh, nationally are starting to recognize what our players have done here the last few years, and and it's nice to be recognized. Uh, We try to keep our guys very focused, though, because we know um, uh, each game is very important for us, especially coming up here uh, at the end of the season and the postseason uh, but uh, that's a credit to our players they they made the commitment to come to usc and be the reason why we turned this program into a, a top 2025 20, basketball program on an annual basis and so they deserve all the credit in the world
0: usc college basketball coach andy Enfield joins me for a few more moments so what about isaiah mobley he has been an absolute force this year how much has his game grown from last year to this year
1: Isaiah's really improved his strength, his balance. He finishes in the lane at a very high level. He's improved his three-point shooting dramatically. He's shooting 40% from the three. He went to the foul line the other night in a crucial situation, made five out of six. His free throw percentage is over 75% now. So he's really improved everywhere in his game. He had eight assists the other night, no turnovers against Washington last week. He's a great passer. He's a great rebounder. He can score the ball when he needs to. And he's a terrific defender. He's a legitimate All-American candidate.
0: Uh, across the country. All right. So what about Evan Mobley? Meanwhile, he has been an absolute stud. In his rookie year with the Cavs, you were saying last summer that he's just a winner. What do you make of how he's handled that transition to the NBA? And is there any part of you that's surprised at how easy he's making it look?
1: Well, we would love love to have had Evan for two or three years and uh, Onyeka Kongwu for more than one year. But those guys have uh, done great. And Evan should get rookie of the year. Uh, Evan's just a winner, as you said. I told every NBA team that called me last year that the guy just is a winner. He, he doesn't care about how many points he scores. He helps you defensively. He does all the intangibles. He, he's a hard worker. He's very understated. as, as a, he, He's not a loud, and, uh, a loud guy in the locker room. He's just going to fit into any team. And he's doing that with the Cleveland Cavaliers, with a lot of veterans and some younger guys. And he just goes out and plays basketball. He he helps you win games, and that's what he did here at USC, and now he's doing it with the Cavaliers.
0: Hey, Andy, this is the uh, awkward part of the conversation where I ask you a bit because of all the success you've had. Your name is going to be linked to a number of other jobs. What is your process for dealing with that?
1: Uh, well, that's a credit to our players and assistant coaches I've had over the years because uh, we wouldn't be mentioned uh, for certain things unless we were successful and uh i have a terrific coaching staff coach uh, chris kapko is my associate head coach eric mobley and jay morris our assistants Uh, and and jason hart was my associate coach i had a lot of great coaches here to help build this thing and so uh that's the first thing i think of and then our players you're only as good as your players and your and your staff as the head coach so to be linked uh, to rumors out there they are rumors right now because we're still in the middle of the season or end of the season i should say we we just had a huge road trip. We won six in a row. We play Arizona. We have sold-out crowd tomorrow night at home, and then we play at Poly Pavilion on Saturday before we go to the Pac-12 tournament. So uh, it, it's... As nice as that uh, is for our program to be recognized as being successful, we're, we're just, I'm not letting distractions in, in our staff. We're, we're just focused on what we have to do here.
0: Hey, listen, I never met a coach that wanted to let anything distract anybody from what they're trying to get done. So I understand that. I respect that. I appreciate that. If you were just to take one step back, though, I'm kind of curious, like, where you are in your life, personally, professionally, in terms of your family. Like, it's so interesting, because back in the day, Andy, it was always about the next thing, the next thing, get to the next conference, the bigger paycheck, the bigger chance to win. But life has changed. Things are really different right now, the way people approach things, and especially coaches. Like, what is most important to you as you approach your career and your business and your job? What are the things, what are the priorities that matter most at this point in your life?
1: Well, I think uh, I I was an NBA assistant coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics. So I had NBA experience. Uh, before I came to college and, and I really enjoy the college atmosphere. I love the, uh, the, the college, the camaraderie. I enjoy recruiting young men and bringing them into a program, seeing them develop and working with a coaching staff every single day. And, and, uh, and, and it's more about the, the university. It's bigger than just your program when you're part of a university. And, and so I think that's a really cool thing. I think it's a lot different than the NBA. Uh, I was there, I had a great time when I was a younger coach and, and now that, uh, I've been in college. I think the most important thing is is to really uh, recruit players that you want in your program, develop them, put them in a system to try to succeed, and then enjoy the moment and and, and enjoy the uh, camaraderie of the whole university around you.
0: I got it. So because it's been so long since you and I spoke, one last question. You do have Arizona at home tomorrow night. They're a game and a half ahead of you in first. What's your message then to the team about this game? Do you talk, for instance, about a chance to win a conference title, or do you approach it like it's just another game and the next one on the schedule?
1: Well, it's not just another game. We have a sold out crowd here, and we've won six in a row. They're they're ahead of us. They beat us a few weeks ago in Tucson, a very close game where we had to lead late, and they made some key, big shots. Uh, so this is not just another game because uh, it means a lot in the Pac-12 standings and, and the national rankings. We're both ranked in the top 20, and uh, we I think we're 16th, and they're 2. So uh, this is going to be a, a lot of fun tomorrow night, and, and our players will be ready to go compete.
0: I like that. I appreciate that, because from the outside looking in, that does not feel like just another game. That feels like a really critical game and a big game for all involved. USC is 25-4. and four. That is their best start in school history, and there's a big one at home tomorrow night against Arizona. That's 8 p.m. Pacific time. He is the head basketball coach at USC, Andy Enfield. Andy, really appreciate it. Glad we finally got caught up. Thanks so much for doing that.
1: Yeah, it's been great. really appreciate you and what you've done over the years here. Thank yeah, you. You got it,
0: Andy. Thank you. All right, so Philly fan, I know you're not ready to start slamming horse crap Sandoz just yet, but I do know, I know damn well you know you have an opportunity on your mind right now come June with the Sixers. you got to be so hyped. You have to be so hyped at what you're seeing right now. And maybe, maybe just maybe Daryl bleeping Moray. Know exactly what the hell he was doing when he went all in and he brought the beard to the city of brotherly love at the trade deadline. I understand. There is a gigantic, super obese contract waiting on the other side. I know it is an enormous risk. But I'm talking about what have you done for me lately? And in the first two games, this experiment in Philly looks bleeping legit. And I'm not even overreacting. This is not an over-embellishment. This is not a hot-take response. It looks bleeping legit. Hey, let me just throw this out there. I'm beginning to think that James Harden being on the decline was not really about the ability and that he really was not on the decline, but it was way more about the beard wanting to bounce the hell from Brooklyn and not giving a bleep about being there. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just got fed up with being a part-time player Or running with a part-time player and a full-time flat earther as his teammate. Maybe it was that. Whatever the hell it was, the 76ers are not dealing with the same guy. They got a different guy. They're dealing with vintage Houston MVP beard. The guy's refreshed. He's rejuvenated. Looks like he's cut weight already. And clearly and visually just was not buying in in Brooklyn. And his sixer run on Friday night started with, quote, violence. And who was it violence against? None other than Cat and Minnesota. My guess would be Cat did not like that energy.
3: Yeah, I like this energy.
0: I don't think so. I don't think he liked that energy or that violence because the beard goes out, he goes off for 27. 12 dimes and had only two turnovers in his sixer debut and they beat the wolves by 31 and the guy looked brilliant the guy looked incredible and so what maybe he's on adrenaline yeah well he followed that up by going to the garden yesterday and posting up a triple double
2: harris sets the screen for harden
0: steps through the paint, gets the layup Single coverage on Harden. Harden gets into the paint. Tough finish. Come on, man. Oh, man.
2: Harden with the step through. How many times have we seen that?
0: 29, 16, and 10 if you need it. And the first player in NBA history to put up 25 and 10 in each of his first two games with a team. Can I repeat that? What were they getting? somebody over the hill, somebody whose best ball was behind him, somebody who was bloated, somebody who didn't give a damn, somebody who was not a good teammate, somebody who, whenever things go wrong, forces his way out, or somebody who went 25-10 and in his first two games with a new team and nobody had ever done that. And the best part to me, it seems like, and again, small sample, but it seems like instant chemistry with the favorite to win the NBA MVP Joel Embiid.
2: Harden downhill, great dime to Embiid. Embiid was almost giddy a couple of nights ago during that game against Minnesota. Gets the drop on the trailer and says it with his chest. Off the drag screen, it's Harden. Pocket pass, Embiid, and one
3: counted. A lethal combo platter taking form and shape here.
0: And weren't there hot takers talking about how these two dudes would not work together, that they would not fit together, that they would struggle in the pick and roll? I heard that. I heard a lot of that from a lot of different people. Yeah, I guess if not working well meant being pretty much unstoppable already, then yeah, they're not going to work well together. I mean, already two games in, it's pick your bleeping poison on the offensive end. And yeah, I'm going to say it. They're the best offensive combo in basketball already. Yes. Two games in, I'm already willing to say that. And if you don't believe me, just check with the big fella himself, Joel, and he will tell you they are essentially unguardable. Unstoppable. Man, what are you really going to do? He's a a great passer and obviously I got someone
4: that uh, that attracts a lot of attention to. Uh, So you got to make a decision. Do you, you know, stay on me or do you stay on them? And, you know, if you want to guard both of us, you know, with the other guys, uh, now you got, you know, Matisse diving to the rim, Uh, you know, wide open shooters. I got one job to do and it's to make shots. That's all we got to keep doing. Uh, Like I was saying in the locker room, I'm happy I don't have to post up every single possessions. So,
0: you know, it's great. There's not a ton of guys that I would say this about. But if Joel says it's so, it's so. If Joel says it's true, it's true. Joel has a really high basketball IQ and acumen. If Joel is saying those things, it's true. And he believes it. The only downside, and not surprising if you've actually watched these two guys ball before, you knew we were all going to have to carve out another hour of our lives each night that they run together because these two cats live at the line. That's the only downside as far as I can see it. A bunch of eight-hour basketball games because they spend a hell of a lot of time at the line, both of them, through two games. Joel and the Beard have attempted 59 free throws, 59 shots. From the stripe in two games. And that's not because this is a hack of shack or a hack of ben Simmons because they can't shoot their throws. Joel shot 27 and made 23 at the Garden. So, what I'm saying is it's going to take some time off your life now. But speaking on behalf of Philly fan, they won't care if it means their squad is going to go deep in the postseason. And with the East being so wide-ass open... The Sixers absolutely can make a deep run. Should make a deep run. And again, not an overreaction to only two games. They're deep, and they'll make a deep and competitive run for the Lario. I've seen enough already to know two games in. Because one other thing is, their style is playoff basketball. They're built for the postseason. These two cats can grind a game out now. One with their two-man game. And then, with the other guys that he just mentioned, Maxi, Tobias Harris, playing off that, then you add to the fact of the two alphas spending as much time at the free throw line as they do, their defense will be set on nearly every damn possession. And yes, I did say Harris. I did say Tobias Harris. I'm well aware that he has not yet yelled. But some of that is expected with the Harden addition. Harris, to me, and I'm still a big Tobias Harris guy, to me, he's still too sound, too well-rounded, not to figure it out. It's a Philly fan. I'm curious. How you feeling? Get up in here. Morey did a bleep ton. Well, gave up a bleep ton for the beard, but he's all about trying to bring you your first ring since the days of Dr. J. And it says here you got a hell of a look at it. You've got a really good shot. Two games in, you can already tell that you've gotten the focused, wanting-to-win, slim James Harden. The dude that closely resembles the guy that many argued, not that long ago, was the greatest offensive player ever. And not the guys that you clones had glossed, Larden. I think the guy looks amazing. Amazing. And it stands to reason he's going to get better. And he already looks great. That's my take. I love what I see. God.